Welcome to episode two of the Fitness Circus podcast. Today, I'm asking the question, is there a way to structure pole and aerial classes that is designed to prioritize the psychological needs of the students and increase exercise adherence? Hi, I'm Sarah May. I'm a pole and aerial hoop instructor and personal trainer who started in the fitness industry in 1997 and started pole in 2006. After years of pursuing vocational training in the fitness industry, I decided to take it a step up and enroll in university. I'm currently studying a Bachelor of Health Science in Sport and Exercise Science and absolutely loving it. I have a lot of opinions about the pole and aerial industries, particularly in the social amateur group fitness space, and my friends get sick of hearing about it, so I decided to tell you guys instead. Now I'll warn you, this episode is probably going to be long, um, with some discussion of some really specific exercise psychology concepts, so it might not be for everyone. If, however, you're a studio owner who wants to better serve your community, or you're in pole instructor who wants to make sure you're serving the best class possible for your students, you might benefit from understanding a bit more about these psychological theories and how to apply them in the real world. So in my first ever podcast episode last week, I spoke about why I don't love the very Australian class structure of graded term-based classes. And I explained how it does not meet the basic psychological needs of the students based on Ryan and Desi's self-determination theory. Today, I'm digging into another psychological theory that is particularly well-researched in the sport and exercise psychology space to try and create an ideal class structure for student psychological well-being and retention. So the psychological theory is Nichols' achievement goal theory. It has close ties to Ryan and Desi's self-determination theory, and the two theories are often discussed together, particularly in an exercise psychology context. So achievement goal theory has been extensively researched within sport and exercise environments, and the results are relatively homogeneous, which just means that the results from all the different studies pretty much say the same thing. So the principle of achievement goal theory is that there are two types of coach-created motivational climates. The first type is known as a performance or ego-involved climate. And in a training environment with a performance climate, success is measured in relation to other people. In this type of training environment, there are winners and losers. And participants in this sort of training environment tend to set goals that match the values of the environment known as ego-oriented or performance goals. Research has consistently demonstrated that ego goals and a performance climate are associated with a motivation or the desire in participants to discontinue their participation. There's also a significant amount of research that demonstrates that a perceived performance climate has a negative relationship with feelings of autonomy, competence, and relatedness. And these are our basic psychological needs. So I would suggest that there is almost no environment in which a performance climate and ego-oriented goals would be productive or add value, and certainly not in a recreational setting. As a side note, and not really the topic of this episode, 
I would suggest that graded term-based classes are structured to operate as a performance or ego-oriented climate, and I will probably touch on that a little bit later. The second type of coach-created motivational climate is known as a mastery or task-involved climate. And in a training environment with a mastery climate, success is measured in relation to the self and in continual progress and improvement. Basically, being a little bit better than your past self. Participants in this type of training environment tend to set task-involving or mastery goals, which are typically self-referenced. A significant body of research suggests that a task-oriented or mastery climate is associated with developing intrinsic motivation in participants, increased feelings of autonomy, competence, and relatedness. Again, there are basic psychological needs. And a mastery or, um, or task-involving climate has a strong correlation with consistent or improved exercise adherence over time. So I know that's a whole bunch of psychobabble, but in a nutshell, a performance climate is bad for class participants and bad for the business, while a mastery climate is good for everyone. Okay, great, it's as simple as that, right? We all just need to make sure that we're creating a mastery climate in our studios and in the classes we teach. It's that simple. Sure it is. You first need to actually understand the defining characteristics of a mastery and a performance climate before you can consciously work to create the motivational climate that will best serve your community. So achievement goal theory is so well researched and widely adopted that there is actually a best practice framework that is used to assess motivational climates and can be used as a guideline to intentionally create a mastery motivational climate. It's called Epstein's target framework and it breaks down as follows. So the first T in target stands for task. In a performance climate, the group performing the task is typically all at the same or similar level, and everyone works on the same skills and tasks at the same time. Does that sound at all familiar? Yeah. So that sets up a performance climate because the goal is to achieve the same thing that everyone else in the group is working on. This group normative task allocation leads inevitably to comparison with the rest of the group and clearly creates group referenced or ego-oriented ego goals. So to make the shift over to more of a mastery or task-oriented climate, it would be better to have a mixed level group in which each participant was working on differentiated tasks that were appropriate to their individual skill level, training goals, and physical and emotional state. So when each individual is working on something different, there's less opportunity for group referenced comparisons to be made. So the participants are more likely to focus on their own personal improvements and progress in a self-reference manner. The A in target stands for authority and refers to where the authority to direct the training session lies. So in a performance climate, typically the authority lies with the coach, teacher or instructor. In this environment, the instructor would tell the participants what they were working on and the participants would be expected to follow along with this lesson plan. Again, I would like to ask you honestly, does this sound familiar in a pole or aerial environment? It probably does, right? So in a mastery motivational climate, 
The participants have a level of autonomy or authority over their own training. So this can manifest in a few ways. However, the most effective manifestation of this autonomy would be for the instructor and the participant to collaborate. A participant would have their pole goals that they're working towards, and based on this, the instructor could suggest a personalized class plan based on regressions, complementary skills, and preparatory moves that could support those goals. So in communicating this to the participant in a mastery environment, it's important that the instructor should clarify and explain the purpose of each element of the class plan to assist the student in taking ownership of their training in a safe way that also supports their autonomy and their progress. So the R in target stands for recognition. And in a performance climate, recognition is offered in a public or group reference manner. For example, calling out the person that can do the most push-ups or celebrating the first person in a group to achieve a move that they're all working on. In a mastery climate, recognition would typically delivered, be delivered in a more private manner and be focused on effort and improvement in a way that normalizes self-referenced goals. So the focus is offering recognition based on how much effort that person has put in, how much they have improved compared to yesterday, compared to a month ago, compared to a year ago, and completely disregarding how that compares to other people in that group. The G in target stands for grouping. And I've already touched on this, but assigned grouping based on skill level or ability is a defining characteristic of a performance motivational climate. Remember, this is the motivational climate we want to avoid because it is so heavily associated with a motivation, exercise non-adherence, and the frustration of basic psychological needs. Some of the reasons that we want to avoid this type of grouping is because when everyone is working on the same skills and is graded at a similar level, group referenced goals and comparison to others is almost inevitable. It also means that in an environment where close bonds of friendship may be being forged, if a student needs to grade, change to a lower graded level for any reason, whether it's injury, whether it's they've regressed because they've gone on holiday, whether they had to take a financial break from the studio, um, that change to a lower graded level will feel like a punishment or a failure. They'll be punished by being separated from their friends, as well as being punished by having to go back a level to people that were not as advanced as them. Generally, a training environment with a mastery motivational climate will be a mixed level environment. So this allows students or participants to bond without fear of being isolated due to their differing skill levels. It also creates an environment where due to everyone working on varying skills, group reference comparisons are no longer possible and everyone focuses a little more on their own skill development and progress in that so important self-reference manner. Furthermore, if group work is required in a mastery environment, students should be allowed to select their own groups. Or if apparatus sharing is necessary, students be, should be allowed to choose who they share with. 
Um, in this instance, it's an instructor's role to ensure that no one is intentionally or otherwise excluded, but it is not their role to force partnerships or to allocate groups. The E in target stands for evaluation, and it refers to what the measure of success in a skill looks like. So in a performance environment, evaluation of success in a move, skill or task is offered publicly and is often based on normative criteria graded against the abilities of the group. In a mastery climate, evaluation is offered in private and may even be self-evaluation. So the evaluation is offered in reference to personal improvement compared to the self and effort committed to the task or skill. In an environment like pole or aerials, where evaluation of a skill can affect the student's progression or ability to work on progressed skills, this evaluation should be made in consideration of safety factors, including transitions into and out of the skill, but should not relate to aesthetics unless that feedback is explicitly welcomed by the student. The final T in target stands for time. In a performance climate, time allocated to learn a skill is often set by the coach, teacher or instructor without consideration for the physical and mental processing needs of the individual student. Now this can happen on a micro scale, so however long in a class is allocated to work on the set move, and it can also be on a macro scale, for instance, having an eight to 10 week term, at which point that is the only opportunity you have to progress to a new level or learn new skills outside of that subset. Um, so saying to a group, one more try, and then we're gonna move on, is a classic example of fostering a performance motivational climate. In a mastery motivational climate, the individual students can prioritize their time over the duration of the session and allocate as much or as little time as they feel they need to any given skill. As an instructor, you can recommend that people attempt a skill no more than X times on each side in an effort to prevent injury. However, the authority to make that final decision should lie with the student. As an instructor, you can remind students over the course of the class that say 15 minutes have passed or that we need to start cooling down in 20 minutes, for example. But this should simply be information to support their learning and not a dogmatic request to change the skill that they're working on. On a macro scale, when you take away the term-based model, people no longer have this time constraint in which they feel like they need to achieve all the skills or they're going to be potentially separated from their friends. So when you remove the time-based or the term-based business model, I should say, when you remove that, then you open up the opportunity for people to genuinely progress in a safe manner without feeling pressure that they need to push themselves to achieve a move in a set period of time or else they will be held back. So it's all well and good to now understand what factors contribute to a mastery motivational climate and to know that a performance motivational climate may not serve the best needs of your students. But how on earth can you implement this in a pole or aerial studio? It takes a huge mindset change. And for most studios, it's not possible without something of an overhaul of the entire business structure. 
and probably a rewrite of the curriculum. But if you recognise and acknowledge that the existing common studio structure, at least here in Australia, is generally set up to create a hallmark performance motivational climate, it may be worth considering if there are changes you can implement to create a better training environment for your members. So in terms of creating a mastery climate in a pole or aerial studio, personally, my ideal studio based on these principles would have a choose your own adventure style of curriculum where students have the option to be assigned skills based on the recommended learning structure. And that works for people that don't have set specific pole goals or they can choose a core skill or a few core skills that they want to work towards and work on regressions and prerequisite skills that will lead them towards being able to achieve the core skill. This would obviously require a fundamentally different curriculum design to what we normally see and a completely different style of class plan to what is typically used. So what I would personally envision as the curriculum is a number of skill, screen, skill streams that lead to peak poses or core skills on the apparatus. Um, and people can be like, I just think that a straight leg layback is the most beautiful skill, but right now I'm struggling to sit on a pole. So there is a clear line of progression that they can take to work towards that core skill that's gonna help on that core skill. And maybe they're less interested in learning an invert for right now. So they can really focus their learning to the direction that they're interested in. Now, again, based on these principles, my ideal studio would have mixed level or open classes where skills could be learned at each student's own pace without comparison to the other students in the room because everyone would be working on their own thing. The instructor would warm everyone up together, cool everyone down together, and for the body of the class, they would work their way around the room, offering feedback, advice, support, and when the students felt that they had achieved competence in a move, the instructor could offer evaluation of the success of the move based on safety factors, transitions, and key execution points with aesthetic feedback only being offered if explicitly requested. Um, so I've outlined the general structure of a class that has been designed using the target principles to create a mastery motivational climate. So the class would start with the instructor asking students to think about what skills they would like to work on today. If they don't have a specific plan, um, the instructor could recommend that they choose from the curriculum one new move that is appropriate to their level, one move that they have already achieved to refine, polish, and absolutely take ownership of, and then three to four moves that they're very comfortable in their ownership of to attempt to sequence together. So this part of the class plan feeds into the task and autonomy aspects of the target model. Um, the warm-up starts off apparatus as a group together. So partner and group work is encouraged um, and silly or fun exercises take priority as a bonding moment. Um, so this is also feeding into the grouping aspect of the target model. When the warm-up moves onto the apparatuses, students may need to take turns and that's actually not a terrible thing in this um, mastery motivational climate. So it would here be the instructor's role to monitor the room, ensuring everyone gets a turn and no one is excluded, 
but allowing students to choose which specific apparatus they use and whether they're the first or second to use it. And it feeds into both autonomy and grouping. So once everyone's warm, it's the instructor's role to invite the students to start working on their skills for the day. Um, the instructor can communicate to them to let them know that they can change out the skills they're working on whenever they're ready, directing them to listen to their bodies when deciding to change skills. Um, the instructor can also direct them to refer to the curriculum and to their classmates while the instructor's moving around the room. And this feeds into task autonomy and grouping in the target model. There should be a really strong focus on encouraging students to cheer each other on, to get them to offer to film each other, to offer to help each other, perhaps by slowing down an apparatus that's spinning too quickly or swinging, and just generally being there to support each other in their training and encouraging each other. So again, this plays into the grouping aspect of the target model. The instructor would then make their way around the room, spending a few dedicated minutes with each student. And the instructor should acknowledge, notice and acknowledge the physical and mental progress that the students have made. And mental progress can be things like conquering fears, small moves that can really freak people out, as well as physical improvements in strength, in flexibility, in transitions, it's all important. Um, they should also ask if the student has any skills that they need specific guidance and feedback with. Um, if there's any skills that they would like evaluated, that's all happening while the instructor is moving around the room. And it all feeds into task, autonomy, and recognition within the target model. So then if the student has asked for feedback on a skill, the instructor should provide clear, specific feedback related to that skill in that private one-on-one -on -one environment. Any feedback that's given should be given in a manner that is self-referenced and emphasizes effort, progress, and safe execution of moves. Aesthetic feedback, like I'll point your toes and that sort of thing, it shouldn't relate to limb length, it shouldn't relate to body shape and it should not relate to any non-skill related factors. So this relates to the recognition and evaluation aspects of the target model. Then if the student tells you that they feel like they've nailed a move and they want it evaluated for competence, that is the student's decision as to when they're ready for assessment. And the assessment must rely only on safe execution of the intended skill and not on aesthetic factors. So if a student is able to demonstrate a skill safely, they should be congratulated on their achievement in that one-on-one -on -one discussion. And like a small recognition, something like a high five can actually be so important to a student in this environment. Um, the skill should be marked as achieved in the curriculum. And this is playing into both the evaluation and recognition aspects of the target model. So leaning into the time aspect of the target model, it is important that you as an instructor would um, let your students know time increments throughout the session so that they can um, sort of split their time up according to their own priorities. And five minutes before commencing the cool down, give the class as an instructor, give the class a five minute warning that the class is almost finished and invite any last requests for feedback or evaluation. And as I said, it's playing into the time aspect of the target model. 
Once it's time to cool down and stretch, bring the group together again. Um, use this time to initiate social conversation, share gratitude, celebrations, milestones, and facilitate ongoing social bonds within that group. And again, that relates to the grouping aspect of the target model. So at this point, I would like to acknowledge Stargazer Studios, which is the pole studio I work at here in Sydney. While their curriculum is set up a little differently to what I have described here, and students are generally assigned moves and combos by the instructor to work on during class, the class structure itself is very similar to what I have suggested as my ideal class structure. As an instructor, this type of class is very challenging to teach. It requires excellent time management skills, adaptive personality management skills, and the ability to distill key technique cues into concise and simple forms. But students love this style of class. Our community is close-knit and tightly bonded. Students of all levels can train with their friends, regardless of any differences in skills, strength, or poll experience. And our students' poll experience is enriched by being exposed to this variety of skill levels in any given class. The biggest challenge, however, with this class structure is scalability. So in an hour long class, within a poll environment, any more than around eight students to one instructor can start to feel unmanageable. And I think potentially in an aerial environment where there is a slightly higher risk potentially, I think that possibly six students to instructor may be where you would want to cap the class. So one of the most common arguments I hear in defense of the more traditional graded term-based structure is that it's designed to keep students safe and protect against injury. So I would argue that this is not working. And the fact that earlier this year, research was released that um, demonstrated that 85% of pole dancers have sustained an injury in the last 12 months. Um, I think the numbers agree with me that it's not working. So I've established that there are many aspects of the traditional Australian pole and aerial studio business model that contribute to a performance motivational climate in these studios, leading students into more of an ego orientation in their goal setting. The problem with this is that it means that students are more likely to want to achieve their peak pose, their skill or their prerequisite moves to grade out of a level quite probably before they're completely physiologically ready to do so because they want to progress to the next level. They want the, um, like the kudos that comes with progressing to the next level in the graded system. And they don't want to run the risk of being separated from their friends. So it pushes them to throw themselves into moves that are potentially prerequisite moves to grade out of a level before they're actually ready. Whereas in this um, more sort of individualized open class plan structure, that risk or that threat is taken away from the students and they're more likely to train in a safe, progressive manner, knowing that the only thing at stake is their body. They're not running the risk of being socially isolated. They're not running the risk of having the stigma of having to repeat a level. So I would love for studios 
to stop telling their students, don't get caught up on your level or your level is not a reflection of your worth as a pole dancer or as an aerialist or it's okay to not grade up to the next level in pole. I mean, all those statements are true, but I think it's our responsibility as members of this industry to start creating a culture and a training environment where those issues don't actually happen anymore. What do you think? Do you agree? I mean, I have opinions about this clearly, but I'd love to know what your opinions are. If you disagree with me um, and if you have a different idea about an ideal class structure, I'd love to hear it. So jump onto Instagram. I am fitness.circus on Instagram. Drop me a DM. I'd love to have a chat to you about what you think. And um, until next time, I hope that's some food for thought. See ya.